And I want to read one verse of scripture, verse number 16, and we'll just briefly teach on true salvation. Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's have a word of prayer. Again, Lord, it's our privilege to be able to fellowship and to look into the scriptures. We pray that for the next few moments you'd encourage our hearts as we think once again about how wonderful it is to know that we are forgiven of our sins. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. The book of Romans, of course, is a very popular book, and it has been foundational in most church revivals and movements in the last 2,000 years, when Paul writes to these saints in the first chapter, he's letting them know in verse number 11 that he wants to see them. He longs to see them, he says. He'd like to have some opportunity to impart a spiritual gift to them. But when he moves into the main theme of the book, it's taken from the last Three words of verse one, the gospel of God. That is what the book of Romans is about, the gospel of God. And it's this gospel in verse 16 that Paul says he's not ashamed of. People who are not confident at all when it comes to the gospel. And some people are embarrassed by what the gospel teaches, by what the Bible says, and about what Christ did by dying on the cross for our sins. But if there's one thing we should not be ashamed of, it's the content of the gospel. To know that Jesus was born of a virgin and lived in this world without any kind of sin. Never ever had to apologize to anybody because of anything. He climbed up on the cross. He died in your place and in my place. He received every judgment and penalty that should have come to each of us. He bore that in our place. And having been taken down off of that cross, was then buried, and as the scripture tells us, was raised again on the third day and then ascended to heaven. So that's essentially the good news. And the Bible says that we shouldn't be embarrassed by that. Why would you not want people to know you believe that, even when other people may mock that story and scoff at that story and say that it's a story that's irrelevant to the time in which we live? One of the reasons Paul says he's not ashamed of is because it's so effective. He says it's the power of God unto salvation. How do you move a man or a woman from sin to righteousness through salvation? How do you transform a life? How do you take someone whose life is going in the wrong direction and then turn it upside down so that their life will be going in the right direction? Paul says the only answer is the gospel. It is the one thing that changed your life, and it's the thing that changed mine. So I like my testimony, and I like the story of how I was saved, so I think I'll tell a little bit of it. I was not raised in a Christian home. My mom and pops were not believers in any sense of the word. They divorced when I was four. But I did occasionally have to go to church with Grandma. And Grandma went to a Baptist church just around the corner from her house, and in that little Baptist church, when I'd have to go there as a four and five year old boy, we always sat somewhere towards the back near one of the windows where we could see my grandmother's house. 
But this little missionary Baptist church was very exciting and very entertaining. Uh, black people don't do boring church. <laughs> and, and they had the organs and the bass players and all of that kind of a thing. But I, I'd sit there and usually go to sleep during uh, after the, the, the music part because you always had one section where the ladies dressed in white, the mothers of the church, the older ladies, they would always have their big hats on and stuff like that. And then they'd get happy and go to dancing, and then pretty soon the hat would fall off and bobby pins were coming down. And, and then pretty soon you had the younger ladies taking the, the little blankets or little sheets or whatever and laying them over the older ladies who fallen out in the church because they're just so happy in God. Well, after that was over, then the preacher got up and I went to sleep. I just laid on the pew and, and went to bed. But finally, right at the end, I'd hear that organ start up with the preacher at the end of that message. And then that's when I'd perk up and start standing up on the pew to see what was going on. Because that's when that preacher, he started singing while he was preaching. And they were always dramatic. I mean, they'd kick a leg up in the air and, and uh, might, might run down the aisle as they're holding that, that microphone. <clears throat> So that was church as I knew it, going to a missionary Baptist church with my grandma. Uh, we just didn't do church. Only other time I can recall being in any kind of church service, I was in a wedding one time as a ring bearer, a little four or five year old boy. And, you know, my role was to go down with the little girl who's got the flowers and we're supposed to go down the aisle and, you know, go stand in our respective spots. But I, I was too busy asking the little girl where she lived. And, and what was her name and getting to know her and all that. So my, my whole church experience wasn't that good as a kid. But junior high school, there was a beautiful little gal named Rhonda Greer. And Tiffany always says if she meets this girl, she's going to tell her thank you. But this, this, this little girl, when I was in eighth grade, she was just the cutest thing. And I had a friend named Brian, and I said to my friend Brian, uh, I said, I'd like to talk to this girl, Rhonda, but I don't know anything about her. He said, well, Rhonda's one of those, those holiness girls, and she doesn't talk to sinners. Well, I didn't know what a holiness girl was, and I didn't know I was a sinner. So I said to my friend Brian, I said, well, Brian, I'll tell you what. I'm going to talk to her in the lunchroom and I'm going to ask her if I can have her phone number and uh, we'll, we'll just go from there. If she says I have to go to church with her, I'll even volunteer to go to church with her. So I walked up to her in the lunchroom and I was trying to be real cool because all my friends were watching me and asked her if I could have her number. And she turned and said no and turned and walked away. Well, I said, well, could I come to church with you? See, I had plan B going. <laughs> May I come to church with you? And she said no. And she kept walking. Well, eighth period, before the bell rang and we could get out of the school, she came to me and she said, you know, I was sitting in class praying, and I believe God wants me to have my family pick you up and bring you to church. So I was happy that I was going to church, but I, I was wondering what kind of a girl is able to talk to God in class. <laughs> I, 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 I was kind of concerned. So the, that Sunday came, they lived on the west side of Cleveland. We lived on the east side of Cleveland. 
it's about a 40 minute drive or so and she they're going to come all the way over there pick me up go all the way back over there then come back and drop me off so my mom knew I was going to church I put on the best Sunday go to meeting attire that I had which wasn't any and uh, I, I already had the, my mind was kind of the wheels were turning I said okay that car is going to pull up Rhonda's going to be in that back seat and I'm going to slide in that back seat next to her and I'm going to put my arm around her and all the way to church. I'm going to sweet talk her as we're going down the highway. And sure enough, that car pulled up and uh, other folks were driving around us in that back seat. But when I got there, I noticed Rhonda's sister had positioned herself between me and Rhonda and her sister was quite wide. <laughs> and so I just... <laughs> This kind of had our little conversation all the way to church. The wheels are still turning. I was as carnal a sinner as there was one as a little teenage kid. So my, I'm thinking now, okay, we'll get to church. We're going to sit on that back pew. I'm going to put my arm around her and I'm going to talk to her doing this church service. So we got out of the vehicles, a little small storefront church. I, I don't think the whole uh, sanctuary and building was even larger than this this section going in that direction. So we got out, walked up in there. She reached out, grabbed my hand. I got goosebumps. I was so excited. She walked me down the center aisle and took me to the front pew and put me in front of that preacher. Now, I don't know this to be a fact, but I know I have done it. But I'm sure when that preacher saw me come through the door, he tore up every note that he had and realized he had a sinner. And so I'm sitting there and the service starts up. And in this kind of a church, it was a church of God in Christ, which was a holiness Pentecostal church. They are if the Baptists, if I thought they were excitable, these folks were Baptist times 20. And so they said, okay, testimony service is now open. And then everybody, people start jumping up, giving their testimony, saying, I'd just like to thank the Lord that he, I'm saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost, and running on with the Lord, pray my strength in the Lord, and so on and so forth. And, and finally, the little girl that had brought me, she jumps up, and she starts speaking in a language. I have no idea on this earth what she is saying. Somebody else gets up and gives an interpretation of what this little girl is saying. Then everybody jumps up, the music cranks up, and everybody's dancing and shouting, and just like popcorn in a skillet, everybody's running around the church and praising the Lord, and I'm sitting there terrified. <laughs> I didn't even dare turn my head to even look to see what was going on. I just knew there's a lot of mo motion and activity. Preacher got so excited, he took off, ran out of the pulpit, down the center aisle, and right out the door of the church. <laughs> and I thought, there's nobody to get us out of here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all of this... Just because I wanted a phone number. Yeah. Well, that, that preacher, he, he preached from the Gospel of John that morning. And while he preached, I, I looked straight ahead. And I looked at the ceiling, I looked at the floor, but I never looked at him. I just did not want my eyes to meet his. But I was under conviction as he was preaching about Jesus being the light and us living in darkness. And after 
that service, I was just so convicted. And it was a sobering situation. I, I didn't even really talk much when we went out to the restaurant afterwards. And we, finally they got me back home and my mom was asking me about it. And I said, well, mom, do we have a Bible in this house? She said, yeah, we've got a Bible in the house. I said, we've got a Bible in this house. She said, of course we got a Bible in this house. I got your grandmother's Bible here. Then she cussed and she said, what do you think, we're heathen? I said, well, <laughs> yeah. So I got my grandma's Bible, went upstairs to my bedroom, got down on my knees, opened up the scripture to where he was at. Because even though I act like I wasn't paying attention to what he was saying, I heard every word that he said. And right there on my bedroom floor, I made Christ my Lord and started walking with him. And my life radically changed. And that little girl became the best discipler that any young man ever could have. She taught me everything she knew. She probably taught me everything she wanted to know. But she gave me a lot of insight as to how to conduct myself as a, as a young man be a Christian gentleman, and, and so on and so forth. And so that's why I'm not ashamed. I know where I came from. I know how I used to act. I remember the days as a kid when I used to run with uh, little gang members and spray paint stuff on the side of buildings. I remember being a, a kid sitting in the bus stop uh, waiting to rob some old woman or old man when they came. I remember how bad... I was. But the one thing I do know is if there's anything that will change a person's life, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. That's why when you get this, you, you can't be the same. Uh, true salvation takes a person out of iniquity and out of sin, brings them over into a grace as a sinner that's been saved by grace. But now they're a saint of God, walking with God in the righteousness of God. And though we are still flawed and have defects and we're not perfect, we thank the Lord we're not what we once were. Everything has changed. And Paul says here, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. A person has to believe, but when they believe, change comes. Look at chapter 3, and I'll read verse 25. It's talking about how... We've been justified freely by the grace of the Lord through redemption. But verse 25 says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. We are saved from the guilt of past sins. You know how many people still feel bad about what they did 10 years ago or yesterday or 20 years ago? And it burdens them. I told you just a little bit of of how bad I, I, I was, but I don't feel bad about any of that now. That's all under the blood. That is all forgiven, and my life has been totally changed. And once God brings forgiveness into your life, you've got to believe that that has happened, or you'll spend the rest of your life living with shame and guilt. And people that are burdened with condemnation and guilt, they cannot be effective for God because you're always feeling like you're not worthy enough. In and of ourselves, we're not worthy. If there's any good in anybody in this room this evening, it is because of what Christ has done. 
So his death on the cross has brought about the propitiation of sins. And we can praise the Lord every single day now that my past is as crucified as my old life is. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. So God gives us a new life and we're happy about that. How excited are you that you're not the same person you were 20 years ago, 40 years ago? Or think of it this way. What kind of trajectory would your life have taken had you not known God? Had you not been raised by godly parents? Think of the advantages that I could have had had I had a mom and dad that knew God. I didn't. I had mom and, mom and dad that did the best they could with the knowledge that they had. But God in his great grace did whatever he could to make sure the knowledge of Christ came to me. And since that knowledge has come to me, I do everything I can to make sure other people under, understand it. Because if, if I've been forgiven so many things, who am I to not want to forgive you or anybody else? There's a lot that all of us in here have under the blood. And even though I'm typically the one up here sharing stories about my own life, if all of you could come and parade yourself up here behind this pulpit, you'd be surprised what we'd hear coming from you in your testimony also. So once the curtains are open, we're exposed. And when we're exposed, that's usually when we feel bad. But when the blood comes, blood comes and forgives us, God closes the curtain. That season of life is over. And the Lord said, you can move on now to the next scene. You can walk with me and you can love me and you don't have to feel bad about every bad decision that you've made in your past. Even the bad decisions you've made while you have been a Christian. That's what the blood is for. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the father, the man, Christ Jesus. One more verse. Romans chapter six. It says in verse number 11 and 12. So since we're saved from sin, saved from the guilt of sin, we also know that we're saved from the power of of sin. Verse number 11. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. As Christians, we can't say, I had no choice in the midst of temptation. The Bible says that temptations that come to you are common to everybody. But the Lord said, with every temptation, he makes a way of escape. So we can choose to yield and do wrong, or we can choose to yield and do right. But whatever choice that we make, we've got to understand God's not going to come down into your body and make the choice for you. You have to do it on your own. So even though sin had a terrible hold on us as sinners, once we become Christian, then by faith, the Bible says, reckon ourselves to be dead. Now, we may still battle with the weaknesses of the flesh that we had before we were Christian. Some people get saved and they still struggle with some particular kind of addiction. And they struggle with this. They struggle with that. When I, when I got saved, 
There were certain things just didn't bother me at all. There were certain things continue to bother me. But as a Christian, you know, God gives us the opportunity to find out where our strengths and weaknesses are. So this body, since it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have to do what we can to make sure we maintain the holiness of the temple. Our eyes, our ears. If we have a choice, we can decide what we want to let in. We can decide what we want to let out of our mouths. And this is what he's talking about. Verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let sin be the king of your life. And don't don't allow that king of sin to be a master and a lord in your life. You've got one master and lord, and that's Jesus. Let him be the one that governs and guides your life. Well, that's a continual and daily battle. Paul says, I battle this every day. I keep my body in a constant fight because I have to try to keep that old man on the cross and keep that old man dead. The believer who's going to live like this and enjoy the benefits of it, they'll move over into Romans 8 verse 1 where it says, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Condemnation is terrible to deal with. Because you never feel good. You always feel bad. And if you feel bad enough, you won't want to fellowship with other Christians. You won't want to read your Bible. You'll be uninterested in gospel music. You have no desire for the things of God on television or radio. When condemnation is so great in your life, the only thing you'll want to do is just be in any kind of atmosphere where you don't feel condemned. But think about it. Where can you go to escape the presence of God? There's nowhere to go. David said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, the presence of the Lord is there. He said, if I take the wings of the morning and I fly through the skies, behold, the presence of the Lord is there. Since we've come out of sin and into the kingdom of the Lord, we can now that testimonies will continue to multiply. God saved us once from sin in the past, but in our present life, he's continually saving us from sins in our Christian life. He's constantly putting up hindrances and obstacles to keep us from yielding to sin. And if he saved you once, he can change your life over and over again. That's what repentance is about. Once God points out in your life that there's something that he wants you to stop doing, then he wants you to repent. Once you repent, you're changing your attitude about what it is that God has pointed out. Once you change your attitude, you can change your behavior. Once you change your behavior, you change the consequences or the results of God's blessings that'll come towards you. But if we don't change, then the Bible says we reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap of that corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. What kind of Christian life do you want? You want a happy one? You want a dull one? You want one that's exciting, one that encourages you and keeps a smile on your face? Do you want a testimony that you can share with people that when they hear it, then they'll realize God really can do something great for me? You know, I was such a fanatic after I got saved that my parents thought I joined a cult. They did. This, this little girl was discipling me. And remember, the only religion we had was a little bit of Grandma's Baptist Church. 
So nobody knew anything about what we call the full gospel way or anything like that. And this, this little girl, she, she told me, she said, well, you know, God can do for you what he did for those people in the book of Acts chapter 2. I said, well, what did he do for them people in Acts chapter 2? So I read that and I looked, I said, well, I've, I've, I've been pretty good at Spanish, so I, I could probably learn another language or something like that, you know, so, I said, is that what that's talking about? She said, no, no, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit and something wonderful and supernatural will take place. It be be another language. I said, okay, well, what do I have to do? She said, pray. You got to go talk to God and pray. Well, I found the verse in the Bible that said, enter into your closet and pray. Being a little 13-year-old boy, I thought you had to go into the closet and pray. So I did. I, in my bedroom, I went to the closet and and I had all these suit jackets now and clothes and stuff in there. And I sat down there in the dark and I'm just sitting there just waiting. Didn't know what I was waiting on, didn't know what to do. I'm just sitting there in the dark. And my oldest brother, he comes up the stairs after a little while and he's yelling my name, Daryl, Daryl. And, and I said, I'm in here. And he comes over there to the closet, and when he opened up that door, it was like a mighty Russian wind came in there because it had to be 105 degrees sitting in there and uh, with all this going on. He opened up that door. I stuck my head out, and I said, what's going on? Sweat running down my face. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm in here praying, and, and I'm asking God to do for me what he did for them people in Acts chapter 2. He went downstairs and said, Mom, this boy's lost his mind. And I, I think he's joined a cult or something. So they started hiding my Bible. And my mother wouldn't even take me to church anymore. She was absolutely terrified that this little boy was getting off into something weird. Well, there was a nice little lady in church named Daisy who would pick up kids and bring them to Sunday school to this church, other church of God in Christ where I did start going. And Daisy drove a little Pinto. And a, a Pinto, a, a late 70s model Pinto, could probably only get four people in there comfortably, five if they held their breath. And she would come pick me up. I was the last one on the route, and there usually were nine of us in there. <laughs> and she drove that little car, took us to that church. We had... Sunday school. After the morning Sunday school, the ladies of the church made and sold chicken wings for 35 cents a wing down in the basement. We went down there and ate between service, came back up for the 11 o'clock service. And the services in the Church of God in Christ are not like any of the services around here where oftentimes you're out within the hour. Uh, no, the, these are three and four hour services. And so the service was started at 11 o'clock, the choir and everything doing what they're doing. And right about 1.30, 1.45, the preacher would get up in the pulpit. He hadn't even preached yet, but he'd get up in the pulpit and he'd say, aren't we having a time in here today? Then he'd preach, give the altar call. We'd get out of service, 2.45, 3 o'clock, walk down the road to McDonald's, come back for the 4 o'clock service which was the YPWW, Young People Willing Workers Service, get out of that, and then 6 p.m. had evening service. 
And by the time I got home every Sunday, it was about 9.30 at night. I don't want any of you ever complaining to me about me teaching long again. You hear me? Yeah. But that, that was my life growing up. That was every weekend. And, and, and that was church for me. And when I think about fellowship with the saints, that's why I'm never in a rush to go. I enjoy being around people. I enjoy laughing and joking because no one has a good time like saved people, like Christians that love God. We know how to have a good time. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful this evening for the salvation you brought to all of us. Each one of our testimonies is unique. God, thank you for how you've changed all of our lives. We praise you, Lord, for the people's lives that will be changed in the future who come in contact with folks in this room. Help each one of us to be a witness in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.